Hi, good afternoon. I'm Jason Marzak, the Deputy Director of the Adrian Arsh Latin America Center. And on behalf of my center and the uh, Global Business and Economics uh, Program, Andrea Montanita, the uh, director there, I'm delighted to welcome you all to this incredibly timely event on the future of the Trans-Pacific Partnership with views from both sides of the, uh, of the Pacific. I'm thrilled that we have four very distinguished uh, Latin American and Asian uh, ambassadors and economic affairs minister representing key countries in the TBP negotiations that have taken time to join us for this important discussion. Um, I'd also like to uh, welcome the ambassador from Nicaragua, Francisco Campbell, and the ambassador of Paraguay, Igor Pangracio, for uh, being with us today. We, we often hear in Washington from US officials uh, about TPP, but what is the view of our Latin American and Asian negotiating partners on the status of the TPP discussions and the key issues to be resolved? And how can completion of an effective agreement unleash new growth and investment opportunities for the United States and participating countries? And what would be the effect on non-signatory countries as well? We have a, a fantastic panel today, and I thank everybody for taking, taking the, the time for their incredibly busy schedules. To my left is Chile's ambassador to the United States, Juan Gabriel Valdez. Uh, ambassador Valdez has an extensive history of diplomatic postings, including now uh, uh, one, year in, one year in Washington, um, obviously the, the, one, of the, one of the best postings, uh, and also has an uh, incredibly uh, um, proficient uh, background in trade issues. Uh, while at the Foreign Ministry, he actually played a key role in forging Chile's free trade agreements with the United States and with Canada. To Ambassador Valdez's left is Ambas Singapore's Ambassador to the United States, uh, Ashok Kumar Mirpuri. Ambassador Mirpuri is well known in Washington, having spent now uh, three years here representing Singapore uh, in, uh, in the country. Uh, and we are thrilled to be uh, increasingly working together uh, with him through the Latin America Center as he's an incredible wealth of knowledge as we've continued to learn. To the, to ambassador, to the far left is, uh, is Peru's Ambassador to the United States, Luis, Luis Miguel Castilla. Ambassador Castilla arrived in March, right, Ambassador? February, in February, uh, but was well known in Washington before his arrival, having served as Peru's Minister of Economy and Finance uh, for three years, beginning in 2011. And as minister, he helped guide the Peruvian economy through many of the reforms that today make it one of the most attractive investment destinations in the region. And I also actually just found out that he's also, he will also be playing drums on the mall uh, tomorrow afternoon as part of the uh, uh, Smithsonian Folklife Festival, um, which, which, which Peru is being the country that, uh, that is being showcased as part of the Smithsonian's festival. So uh, you can see him there tomorrow as well. And, and, and next to uh, Ambassador Castilla is uh, the Japanese Embassy's Minister for Economic Affairs, Kanji Yamanuchi. Minister Yamanuchi has spent 30 years in the Japanese foreign ministry, working on a number of um, somewhat tough issues, everywhere from, from North Korea to China maritime issues. So has, has, uh, has had a very full plate throughout. We're going to begin the conversation focusing on um, the news of the day, uh, Trade Promotion Authority. And then we're going to look at the status of TPP negotiations, what agreement could mean in practice for the United States with regard to these countries, and then look at the implications of a deal uh, beyond the 12 negotiating countries. 
I'll conduct the panel in the Davos format to provide as much uh, conversation as possible between the panelists. And then we'll leave the last half hour of our lunch for, uh, for questions. Uh, though just to warn you, Ambassador Castilla will, will leave, have to leave to, uh, to meet his, uh, his trade minister right before the, uh, the audience uh, questions. This is also being uh, webcast and also live tweeted. So if you have questions, please tweet them uh, if you're watching via webcast to at ACLATAM. And if you're here in the, uh, in the room, you're encouraged to tweet. Get out, you can get out your phones for tweeting, but, but nothing else. Uh, and use the hashtag uh, ACTrade. So let's start. About less than an hour ago, the Senate got the 60 votes, so it's uh, 30, 60 to 37. It needed to move uh, a standalone TPA uh, vote to final debate, uh, uh, 30 hours of final debate, with a majority vote now needed for, for a passage tomorrow. Um, the, actually, it was Nevada Senator Dean Heller, a Republican from Nevada, who actually was the one who cast the 60th vote. If you're watching it on C-SPAN like I was, you saw that there was about five minutes when it was 59 to 37 wondering what was going to happen, and then there was that 60th vote. So things are now looking good again for the president's uh, trade agenda as the Senate begins the, its, its debate, and this, of course, comes um, days after the House passed a standalone bill by a vote of 218 to, to 208. Uh, Ambassador Castilla, to, to start with you, partly because you're, uh, you and your embassy helped us to, to put this, this event together. From the perspective of one of our negotiating countries, uh, why is TPA so critical to the negotiations? And, and what would happen to TPP if for some reason tomorrow um, uh, that, that, 60, that majority vote is, or 51 vote is not, is not able to be to get gotten? Right. Uh, well, thank you, Jason, uh, and to the uh, uh, Atlantic Council for this invitation. Uh, I think negotiations now, which haven't finished yet, uh, uh, are a little bit stalled until we get the results from TPA. Actually, some countries have uh, conditioned you know, uh, the continuity of the negotiations until they have assurance that uh, fast-track authority is granted. Um, obviously, given that uh, there's still many um, issues still pending, not many, but some key critical issues still pending in the, negotiation, in the negotiating um, uh, table. Uh, this was uh, uh, essential for us to proceed and move forward. Actually, um, uh, it's a lot better to say a yes or a no vote. In our case, when we negotiated the free trade agreement with the US uh, uh, a while ago, uh, we, the fast track had expired. Uh, and it was a bit, it was more difficult. There were amendments made. Uh, but there was one country negotiating with another one bilaterally. So have making, uh, having a 12 countries agree uh, and open, you know, uh, it, it would be more, more, a lot more difficult it's out of pragmatism. And also uh, for certain countries, uh, as our, our, our friends from, from, from Japan, it's their bilateral agreement with the US. And like for other countries, such as Peru we, and Chile, for instance, and I think Singapore is the same case, we already have trade agreements among ourselves. So I think it's a question of unlocking, un uh, you know, the gridlock that we had at the negotiating table and, uh, and to pass this. And I think we shouldn't undermine the issue that still there are issues pending and that getting through, you know, the actual TPP once, once it gets finalized through our own Congresses, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Because you have electoral cycles here and in several countries such as mine. So uh, uh, this is just a round one. So mm -hmm. it would make things more, more speedy and, uh, and, uh, 
and take advantage of this window that we have now before we go into the electoral period here in the US. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point as well. I think oftentimes in Washington, we're focused on our own electoral cycle. Uh, but of course, there are, there are electoral cycles with, with many of our negotiating countries. Uh, Ambassador Mirpur, last week, your foreign minister uh, very emphatically um, said, quote, that the, the, the choice is a very stark one. Do you want to be part of the region or do you want to be out of the region? End quote. Um, adding that basically without, without TPP, um, all the U.S. would have in Asia is military clout. Um, and that's not the lever we want, we'd want to use. And so my question to you is, what would be, you know, things are now, as of the vote about an hour ago, things are looking more positive on, on as Ambassador Castillo said, on, on round one. But what are the larger strategic consequences um, if, you're, if, if, if for some reason TPA wasn't able to, to get through? And, and, and more broadly, what are the larger strategic consequences of, of, uh, of, of the TPP negotiations overall? Well, thank you. Thank you, Jason, for inviting me here and uh, to join this distinguished panel. And maybe my foreign minister's words had some effect in moving this thing forward a little bit. But the, the view from Singapore, and Singapore, like several of our partners here, already has a bilateral free trade agreement with the United States. We were the first Asian country that signed a uh, bilateral free trade agreement with the U.S. The U.S. has a generous surplus with Singapore. But it really points the way forward. And my minister's point, which I think we have repeated many times, is that the president has come out to the region to say the pivot to Asia is going to hinge on trade. It is going to hinge on the TPP. And if, as we saw the situation last week, when we were in a, somewhat in a state of uncertainty of what was going to happen with TPP, given the uh, uh, failed TPA vote 10 days ago, it left the whole president's agenda in Asia in limbo. And the U.S. has always played a very critical role in the Asia-Pacific. It's not just now. It's not just 10 years ago. It's been for the past half a century. It is a welcome party in the Asia-Pacific. They've played an active security and military role, and that is well-recognized and accepted, and they still do that. But that military role has to go in parallel with an economic and trade strategic role. And that's where the, the, sort of, the speed bumps that we encountered over the past few months, it wasn't just the vote 10 days ago, we've been just encountering the speed bumps, slows down this process of the U.S. engaging with the Asia-Pacific. Because what you see happening in the Asia-Pacific is a shifting economic architecture with different trade arrangements being built. Uh, the same day that the uh, vote was, uh, didn't go through here, China and Australia signed a bilateral free trade agreement. Mm -hmm. South Korea has done agreements. Japan has done agreements with Singapore, and Singapore has done agreements with most of the Asia-Pacific countries. In all of this, the U.S. does not have a role yet. There is a regional comprehensive economic partnership with China and 15 other countries, are the ASEAN countries. And this really becomes the way, how does the U.S. plug into what's going on, the developments in the Asia-Pacific? And that's where I think getting TPP done is very important. And why is this of particular importance for, for Singapore and for the other three Southeast Asian countries, uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, and Brunei, that are, that are part of TPP? For Southeast Asia, and then where the U.S. fits in, in Southeast Asia, we are building a larger economic community, the ASEAN economic community. That will come into force at the end of this year. There are 10 members in that, four of which are in the TPP. It really then points a way where we can work together with the U.S. to grow not just for the four TPP, ASEAN TPP members, but the broader ASEAN community to keep the U.S. engaged in the region. And it will provide new opportunities, a growing middle class, 
a opportunities for U.S. businesses which are already present in the region to grow their presence, to reach out to new consumers, to build up new production bases, new, new uh, uh, production cycles. And that's really where the challenge comes in for the U.S. How do you engage not just with the four TPP countries of ASEAN, but then the wider Southeast Asia community? Ambassador Valdez, we, we, as we all know in this room, that we've had a, a few weeks of, of, of drama on Capitol Hill with the, uh, with the TP, TPA discussions. Um, how closely is this debate being watched in, in, in Chile? Um, and, and is it having a, an effect on domestic support in, in Chile as well for the Trans-Pacific Partnership discussions? Um, or, or is this largely confined to kind of a, a Washington discussion? Well, we, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation and uh, the possibility to participate with this distinguished group of colleagues. <clears throat> Let me say first that we Chileans are a bit used to the discussions on the fast track, as it used to be called. We waited for a fast track between 95 and 2002. We were, invited, uh, we were invited to join NAFTA in 95, and the US didn't have fast track. And it only got fast track in 2002, and we finally signed our agreement, the uh, first agreement signed, uh, free trade agreement signed by the US with the South American country in, I believe, uh, April of 2003. Um, Therefore, uh, this is a discussion we know. Uh, let me say that it was, there was much more excitement around the discussion of fast track in, on, in, in, in the period of our free trade agreement. There was even somebody who wanted to organize a coffee shop in Santiago called the fast track. <laughs> but, uh, everybody discussed the fast track. Everybody learned what it meant. <laughs> Today, I would exaggerate if I tell you that Chileans look in the papers every morning saying, was it approved or not? <laughs> uh, but the fact is that some of the arguments of this discussion have reached our Congress. And as, as the ambassador of Peru was saying, we have political cycles, we have political circumstances, and we have our own Congresses. And this is a debate that is going to be a tough debate in our own Congress. Um, I would like also to say that there is a certain, uh, in terms of public opinion, there is sometimes the tendency to indicate that the mere approval of the uh, TPA has solved all the matters pending in the discussion and the negotiation, and this is simply not true. Therefore, even if we know, because having been a friend of most USTRs for a long time and having negotiated with the USTR, we are fully aware that immediately after the FTA is approved, the USTR will rush toward the end of a negotiation. We understand that there are many important things to be solved, and we have some time yet to, uh, yet to, to, to be able to uh, agree on certain issues that complicate us and that make our participation in this treaty not as enthusiastic as it might be if flexibility was accepted as a principle. Therefore, I believe that this is good news. Uh, I fully agree with my colleagues that without this TPA, 
the possibilities of convincing the members of TPP to make progress towards an end of negotiation was practically impossible. But with this TPA, we are very hopeful that we will see a, a happy ending to the whole process of negotiation. And it's an excellent point as well to, to constantly be able to look at what's happening in the, in, in, in the foreign capitals of, of, of the uh, of our negotiating countries. Many of the same arguments that, uh, that those who are, who are concerned about TPP and, and TPA have in here in Washington across the US, those same arguments uh, oftentimes resonate uh, across our negotiating countries. Uh, Mr. Yamanuchi, the US-Japan alliance is the we call it oftentimes the cornerstone of U.S. security interests in Asia, and is fundamental to regional stability and, and prosperity. And the TPP is the cornerstone of the Obama administration's uh, economic policy in, in the Asia Pacific. Um, Ambassador Mirpuri talked a little bit about the the importance of um, of TPP insofar as kind of larger engagement with the Asia Pacific region. But but from a, a Japanese Pacific uh, uh, perspective. What is the potential impact of this of this deal on on American influence in the region and, and also more broad, and also specifically on the on the U.S. Japan relationship? Yes, um, the, two months ago, our Prime Minister Abe came to Washington and had a very good discussion with President Obama. And two of them issued the, uh, the statement called Joint Vision Statement. At the outset of the statement, two leaders mentioned that the alliance between Japan and the United States plays a key role to make sure that the uh, stability and peace and prosperity in the region. And that is uh, the case for that. And uh, in the, on the security side, uh, we've been working so hard to cement our alliance. But at the same time, the economic side, uh, the two leaders talk a lot about uh, this TPP. Because this TPP covers about 40% of world GDP. And this TPP is the most high standard free trade agreement negotiated ever. And also, the uh, two leaders recognized that the TPP has a connotation, not only just t uh, trade and investment, but also uh, security and geopolitical connotation. Therefore, uh, this TPP is so important for the, uh, the future of Asia Pacific. And today's uh, TPA is uh, one very good news for, for the future for that. And Ambassador Kissia, we, you know, uh, Mr. Mamanushi's mentioned, you know, 40 percent of global GDP is is uh, uh, in, in, represented by the twelve negotiating partners. So let, let's let's move let's move beyond this week. Say the say the president gets a gets a, a, a TPA bill and and, and uh, hopefully a, a, a TA a trade uh, adjustment assistance bill as well to sign uh, this week. So what, 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 are, what are you, what's your assessment of the next steps for the, for the negotiations? I mean, my understanding is at this point that the negotiators are all basically on hold to wait for what happens in, the, in many regards for the, in, the, in the U.S. Congress. So what, what, happens, what happens next? Um, I'll know when I pick up my trade minister in a few minutes. But um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, uh, as my understanding goes, uh, most technical you know, issues or issues that can be solved at a technical level have been dealt with. And whatever points are still pending, they're going to be uh, uh, defined at, at the highest you know, political level, you know, the ministers themselves. Uh, I would say, um, uh, in our case, uh, Really, what uh, we see, and, and not only Peru, but other countries, um, uh, is the issue of, uh, of IP, intellectual property uh, rights, is really the, uh, the, the most uh, complicated issue. Because it, it involves, uh, in a certain way, going beyond what we had already agreed upon 
with the U.S., which was the most difficult thing to convince uh, our congressmen and public opinion. And there's always, you know, this belief that this is going to uh, hinder, you know, access to, uh, um, you know, pharmaceutical medicines, and that's really uh, could become a social issue. Now, uh, looking back in our case, when we uh, agreed upon uh, the different um, uh, the time period, you no know, protection of IP, uh, uh, the increase in the prices of, of, of medicines was below was lower than the accumulated inflation that we had over the. You know, during the six years of life of the uh, of the free trade agreement, so it is not quite um, you know it is a very easy you know flag to wave. Oh, mm -hmm. this is going to happen, but not necessarily. It, 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 but it's going to be actually politically difficult to convince our lawmakers that this is uh, something that won't harm um, you know uh, extending to biological pharmaceuticals, which didn't exist at the time mm -hmm. when we negotiated, or even going. A longer period, which is something that I think for most countries is not in the table. Um, so I think uh, once this uh, situation gets uh, surpassed, the TPA, I think the leaders have to uh, get together and really politically define, you know, what what what's the trade-off. And for us, um, we actually uh, believe uh, for for you know, there's. Looks like the cost benefit, the benefits for for a country such as Peru that already have uh, trade agreements with seven out of the twelve countries, will be obviously access to five of them. Um, and if this didn't happen, we would already be negotiating bilaterally with them. Um, uh, the second thing is that we will be able to accumulate uh, uh, rules of origin, which actually um, uh, we actually had that. Thing when we had the uh, when we had a preferential uh, drug-related uh, trade preference on, among the Indian countries before a free trade agreement, and once the trade agreement, but the bilateral came into effect, we were not able to accumulate uh, origin. Now we will be able to do so mm -hmm. with the TPP, and that's very important for firms and SMEs to be able to insert themselves in supply chains. And so that's something of a lot of value. And there's a strategic, uh, as was mentioned by our colleague from Japan. Uh, we in, in Peru, uh, uh, along with our you know, other APEC members, uh, 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 we believe that uh, this is a strategic, um, you know, um, uh, look towards the Pacific as a source of uh, trade and development. It goes beyond trade, really, and beyond investment. It allows us to lock in reforms to uh, uh, set higher standards that we already have and that we wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. you know, for us, trade has been beneficial. There's been adjustment costs, obviously, but it's been beneficial. And if one really uh, compares the uh, overall um, performance of open countries that have pursued trade policies open and strategically looking towards the Pacific, I think we've done a little bit better than the ones that have had that haven't. So yeah. it's something of a development a bet as well for us uh, engaging with uh, our, our Asian, uh, uh, our Asian uh, uh, partners, um, us uh, being host of APEC mm -hmm. uh, next year. It's critical to have progress in this and, all, and also to see once this consolidates for other countries because we see this as an open uh, agreement, not as a yeah. closed one. Yeah, yeah. Ex excellent points. And um, you know, I think this, the, the idea of um, 
being able to lock in reforms, right? That the, the, the trade agreements are oftentimes an opportunity for, for negotiating countries to be able to move forward reforms that would be very um, difficult to do if there wasn't the, the, the carrot of a, of, a, of a trade agreement to be able to implement. Just Ambassador Mirpuri, yeah, you please. Because you, know, you asked what comes next. I think we should not <laughs> underestimate how much more there needs to be done. This is really getting the TPA through is just one part of a process. We have been negotiating for a number of years. And we've come to a stage where, as the Ambassador Peru says, we need some of the political trade-offs. And when you are looking at countries using this to do domestic changes as well, it is become a challenging part. All of us have done bilateral free trade agreements. Getting 12 negotiating countries in a room just multiplies the complexity by more than 12. Mm -hmm. And so let's not underestimate how much more there is still to be done. Yeah. But you know, so we really need to move fairly quickly to achieve this objective of getting the TPP in place. And would you agree with the ambassador's assessment of the most difficult, of, of the, the issues for Peru that can be some of the most difficult? Are those some of the most difficult issues for, for Singapore? I think every country has got different issues. And the challenge in these negotiations is, you know, you do the easy parts first, mm -hmm. and you leave the difficult parts for those final trade-offs. And that's where the TPA becomes very important. Yeah. And Ambassador Valdez, you know, Chile has, um, is one of the most, you know, open free trade uh, uh, economies definitely in, in the Western Hemisphere. You know, Ambassador Castillo is mentioning that the, that the T, TPP is an opportunity to accumulate rules of origin, right? Um, I mean, is that is that what what could what seen from the Chilean perspective is one of the reasons that TPP makes sense? In, in, That's in, right. I would say that what uh, Ambassador Castilla has said reflects exactly the position of Chile. Um, what is important to us is first of all, we have, we have trade agreements with all members of the TPP. Uh, we want, of course, to keep the tariff uh, advantages uh, we have got in other uh, free trade agreements. Uh, um, uh, therefore, uh, the participation in, 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 uh, in uh, TPP is, 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 is uh, obviously oriented by that concept, by that perception by that need. But the accumulation of rules of origin, the possibility to accelerate tough, uh, tariff reductions, the possibility to include new areas of trade, uh, the possibility to include services, investments, government procurement in a trade agreement of this nature and of this ambition is obviously extremely important to us. Uh, this was con would consolidate many of the things we have been doing with other countries. And I, uh, besides, it would also, I believe, be an important boost to the Alliance of the Pacific, which is an organization we have in Latin America, which is extremely important to promote and to consolidate. Now, let me say one thing about geopolitics. Chile is a close ally of the United States. We uh, look at the Pacific with the same eyes. And therefore, uh, we understand, as the ambassador from Singapore said, that the Pacific uh, is uh, an area in which we should work together in matters of security. And we are working together in matters of security. We are also working in areas of protection of the environment. This year, we will have in Chile uh, the conference Our Ocean, which promotes the conservation of species in the Pacific. 
we understand that trade has to be incorporated. We have been members of APEC for a long time, and uh, we have uh, also signed agreements with countries that will not be in uh, the TPP, like China. We are very interested in other agreements with China. China is our main trade partner, uh, and uh, we would obviously advocate at a certain point for a confluence between TPP and China, which is, we believe, a need if we want to effectively develop a real Pacific Basin economic and trade policy. Therefore, we also understand and we value the geopolitical elements that are included in this treaty and uh, this is one of the discussions that we are going to introduce in our Congress because sometimes Congresses, I say it with all the due respect, tend to look at immediate consequences and immediate gains and have difficulties, given the political cycles, to look beyond. Therefore, uh, if we want to look beyond, for a country like Chile to be associated with, with all these countries in the Pacific is simply a need. And, and, and the, um, the question of China, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, I think, discourse in the United States to be able to move trade promotion authority forward has been to, you know, say how this is in many ways an, an agree, uh, this would be an, an opportunity, um, you know, in some ways an, an anti-China uh, agreement. And I think that that's, as you, as you mentioned, I've that's- heard the, I have, I've heard the two arguments. The argument that this would be built in order to confront China, which I think is a big mistake. And I have, but I have also uh, listened to the argument that this is the creation of a series of rules and agreements that would allow a conversation and a dialogue with China that would be much more fruitful in terms of the incorporation of China to certain international trade rules. And I'll ask the other panels, my, my, you know, my understanding is that you, the second point of, of an opportunity to create an agreement that's, that's complementary to, to China is, is the viewpoint that of, of most of our TPP negotiating countries, right? That the, 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 the first viewpoint is, is maybe something that's been used to sell the agreement a little bit here in the United States, but most of our are, are there. Mr. Yamanuchi, is that, is that how, how, how is it viewed from, from a Japanese perspective? The, the thing is, yeah, we, our full country is a member of APEC. And APEC uh, has been sort of uh, discussing how to create the uh, free trade zone in Asia Pacific. There are certain sort of several venues to achieve that goal. The TPP is probably most advanced and the most progressive way to achieve those big uh, sort of framework for free trade agreement in Asia Pacific. And the other thing is, Ambassador just mentioned, uh, we call it RCEP, Regional uh, Comprehensive Economic Partnership. That is negotiated among uh, some of the Asian countries, including Japan and China. So we've been working together for the, the, those uh, big purposes. And the thing is, as I just mentioned, TPP's most high standard free trade agreement ever. And probably we are working so hard and we have uh, some painful effort to achieve that goal. Because what we are talking about is uh, intellectual property rights, uh, environmental standard, labor standard, uh, state-owned enterprises, the rules of investment, and uh, uh, competition policy, etc., etc. More than 20 chapters for that. Almost every comprehensive rules of trade and investment and economic activities. And probably our 12 countries are living up with that high standard. 
then, but, I, but I'm not quite sure, uh, is there any other countries who can meet with this high standard? Mm -hmm. We welcome any country who are showing its willingness and showing their sort of uh, political determination to live up with those high standards. That is the things. But at this moment, our 12 countries negotiation is in the end game, but not yet quite there. Mm -hmm. So now we have good news today, but the ambassador is right. We have many things to do from now. But probably the very strong political uh, momentum is here. Right. And of course, uh, Japan is one of uh, five TPP countries which, with, with which the United States does not currently have a, uh, a free trade agreement. The others are Brunei, uh, Malaysia, New Zealand, and Vietnam. And, and the big sticking point on the TPP negotiations has been the bilateral negotiation with the US and, 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 uh, and, uh, and with Tokyo, ag agriculture, auto markets. How close are we at this point to, you mentioned the prime minister's visit, and how close are we at this point to, to seeing a, a deal come through between the U.S. and Japan? You have a very, you're asking a very good question. <laughs> and I'm trained and a tough one too, as a professional diplomat to answer uh, to the, uh, sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's very difficult to answer to that good question straightly. But I would mention, and, and also, the, believe me, the confidentiality of the negotiations of course. of uh, TPP is very, very, very important. So any of our participants cannot uh, mention the very detail of the negotiation. But I would say, I would, uh, uh, I would say as I just mentioned, Prime Minister Abe came to the town two months ago. And two leaders mentioned, and actually two leaders welcomed the progress we made during our bilateral negotiations. We are not quite there, but I think the two countries made a tremendous and significant progress for our bilateral negotiations, including automobiles and agriculture. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you, we've been talking about the TPP being a framework for the 21st century and having you know, the highest standard of rules. How why, can you give us a little bit more detail on why is it specifically a, a framework for the 21st century? What, what are some of the, the high standards that are part of TPP that, that you see as, as being you know, uh, kind of a, a launching point to potentially future negotiations that the TPP were to, were to move forward? Yeah, the, the thing that I just mentioned, more than 20 chapters of the economic, economic activities, trade and investment, and we have been negotiating. That sets a ground rule for Asia-Pacific, for the 21st century. Any country want to uh, improve their economic activities and the economic standard and also the growth. And those rules would, in long run, uh, benefit those, uh, the promote those uh, uh, growth. And also the coverage of TPP is very wide. 40% of the world's GDP. If other country joins, that percentage goes up. And also one third of whole trade in the, in the world uh, under the uh, TPP. So those coverage means a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and also the uh, strategic connotation and geopolitical connotation. That is what it is. And also for the United States point of view, and this administration promoted the idea of Asia pivot or uh, rebalancing Asia. And when they say that, they do have the two or three different means. One is the security side, political side, and also economic engagement. And economic engagement is a very indispensable part of uh, U.S. partnership with Asian countries. So in those other meetings, I think this TPP will set yeah, the new framework for the 21st century. Ambassador Puri, what, what, what do you see as some of the, the new rules that would be put in place as part of TPP, and what could they mean for, for global, global commerce, for setting an agenda, a, a broader agenda for global commerce standards? I think it's 
in this 21st century framework that is being put together, and sometimes these are catchphrases when you start looking at it, right. and as Kanji-san has already mentioned, there are a vast number of areas. It's important to recognize that the kind of economic relationships between these partners has evolved very dramatically. The kind of agreements we were signing even in the 1990s are out of date by now because technology has changed, requirements have changed, and therefore, for this century, for, for, the, for the current period, we do need some of these new rules. Multinational corporations are expanding around the world. They benefit from, a, from, a, from various countries. New partners have come into play. And speaking about China, China plays a very significant economic role in economic relationships throughout the Asia-Pacific region. For most of Southeast Asia, it's the number one or number two trading partner. Mm -hmm. And so looking ahead, how do we then build that framework that is really open to everybody? And in anticipating that some of these changes will start taking place, I think about it like Lego pieces, where you have these negotiations going on between various structures, and at the end of it, you can connect them together. And that creates your framework. Sometimes it's not entirely neat, but you have that connection that builds from that. And that's really what we're looking at, because you have this really a dramatically changing economic environment for all these countries that want to come together, that realize their interesting things like the, the cumulative rules of origin, that have new standards that have to come into place. And these are the kind of frameworks that we have to anticipate and try and build into the TPP. So you see, you see other countries, um, af after the <laughs> negotiations would conclude, you see other countries in the in the Asia region potentially joining into the TPP? The TPP, like all regional trading arrangements, is not meant to be a closed arrangement. Mm -hmm. The idea being what started initially, the, the TPP started as something called the P4 with Singapore, New Zealand, Brunei, and Chile, and then had the US come in, and we've called it a TPP. But all of these countries are a subset of APEC. And eventually, we would want to create some sort of uh, opportunities for others that want to come in to meet the high standards that the Japanese minister spoke about that cannot come and meet us to this level. It's not meant to close anybody off. It's really a, allowing people a bridge into that future that we see. Mm -hmm. And Ambassador Valdez, you know, the U.S., and you are very much a, a part of these negotiations when the U.S. and Chile uh, signed, a, signed a free trade agreement um, that's, um, I think, been very, very effective in, in, uh, in building the, the economic and, and overall partnership between the two countries. How, how, could T, how could TBP build on this, build on this particular bilateral uh, FTA? And I have the same, I'll have the same question for, for uh, Ambassador Castilla as well. Uh, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> of course, I have already mentioned some of the issues that will, uh, that will add up to our trade agreement with the United States. Uh, but we are now in 100% free trade with the United States. We have zero tariffs flat with the U.S. You can imagine that from that point of view, the advantage will not be in market access. Therefore, the advantages might be in rules. And of course, from the point of view of Chile, uh, topics like sanitary, phytosanitary rules are extremely important given our experts and given uh, uh, the type of relationship we have with the United States uh, in matters of services, financial services. We believe that the TPP adds also areas which are new, uh, particularly era areas linked to state-owned enterprises, um, etc. 
The main point is what we want to preserve. And this is something that is critical to us. There we have made, as a result of this agreement with the United States and as a result of other agreements, changes in our legislation which have not been easy. And they are fairly recent. And you have to go once again to Congress to say what you approved two years ago has to be revised. And the ceiling has to be raised. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Ambassador Castilla said a moment ago, uh, ideas like, for instance, the idea that um, intellectual property rights, as they are written in the TPP, might produce advantage for the big pharmaceutical companies that would affect the price of medicines in our country is an idea which uh, makes a lot of noise in our countries. Uh, we have, at present, a treaty which is practically um, in a situation of closure because the, the exact text is only known by negotiators. Uh, but from the moment in which this will be open for a parliamentary discussion, the amount of work we will have to make progress on this, persuading people that there are bigger advantages than some problems we might have in terms of our own legislation, will be an enormous task. And let me say something that I'm not saying it as a joke or a provocation, but we hope that at that moment uh, people will have the same patience we have with fast-track discussions with us. This, I believe, is something important. Mm -hmm. uh, no Congress wants foreign opinion to in to invade its own limits. This is an important thing to bear in mind. Therefore, I believe that this is practically, this is practically one of the main points for the time to come. Chile is, has established some limits. We want to have a balanced agreement. We will defend that balanced agreement. And during the next period of the negotiations, we will stick to that. Uh, which I believe is exactly the same that other countries will do in the same situation. But I want to stress that because of the proximity of our negotiations with the US, mm -hmm. which is probably the same case that that of, that, that of Peru. Ambassador Castillo, how, how do you see this as building on the, the US-Peru yeah. agreement? And then also to Ambassador Valdez's point, um, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, you know, about the intellectual property uh, uh, aspects of the agreement in, in an earlier response, but as he, as he brings it up again, how is that how is that resonating in the, among in the Peruvian Congress and among the Peruvian people as well? Um, I um, it seems we're working together very closely because uh, his <laughs> answers uh, precisely reflect uh, the you know closely reflect our, our views. Our trade agreement came I think around ten years after the Chilean agreement. So our agreement was more comprehensive in nature. And this is an evolving, you know, a thing that evolves. You know, standards are not uh, static, uh, and they evolve. So um, perhaps one, some of the things that we had agreed, agreed upon, procurement, investment, environment, labor, we already had them in our trade agreement, perhaps different than Chile, when they negotiated theirs. So this is at uh, different speeds. Uh, uh, 
Uh, I would say uh, again, um, uh, the, it adds, adds, adds uh, 2.5 billion market, which is the, the five extra countries that uh, that we will have access. So there's a little bit of market access and the and uh, the, uh, uh, the the accumulation uh, of rules of origin issue that I discussed. Uh, obviously, the sanitary and phytosanitary, you know, ease that or mechanisms to make that easier. Because, uh, as a matter of fact, we already signed a free trade agreement, but market access on paper is one thing, and going through, you know, the different, uh, you know, uh, restrictions uh, is a different issue. Not, so the implementation of market access is not uh, a magic thing. No, one needs, and I think uh, there are provisions to make this more efficient, more uh, uh, expeditive. Uh, so um, uh, it, it definitely adds up. Um, um, and, um, and it actually also complements other efforts that we're doing on parallel. So we're trying to have this put together, but at the same time, we're also complementing with other efforts in my country, which is um, uh, our accession to the OECD, for instance, which deals with other issues. Chile is already a member of, as, as Mexico is, uh, of the OECD. Governance, transparency, anti-corruption, other issues that are not directly dealt with, uh, so it, 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 it's a comprehensive you know, approach to high standards. That's what we are looking for. In terms of the, um, of the public opinion, it's quite striking what's happened in 10 years. In 10 years, uh, uh, it, there, it was a major discussion. Public opinion was against uh, open trade out of really uncertainties. Uh, Congress was completely against any sort of free trade agreement. Uh, it was a lot of discussion. And all of that has already been, you know, in a certain way internalized in our discussion. Now numbers have flipped from 80 opposition, 20, uh, you know, uh, in favor to the opposite. So overall, there is a, there is a general, um, uh, um, you know, support for free trade uh, overall in, in our country. Why? Because uh, we've seen the good results, full employment sectors, higher standards, uh, adequate conflict resolution between investors and state. And we've seen the benefits uh, in spite of the, uh, and, and large productivity gains that we've had over the past few years. Now, what's been perhaps discussed, uh, uh, I, I agree, less, less intensive now than before. For instance, has been issues uh, regarding the secrecy of these negotiations. Now, there's this issue that these are secret negotiations, nobody knows. And that's not really true because there, obviously, if you're negotiating, you cannot really put the chapters for public scrutiny. But there are venues in which different, uh, you know, uh, uh, Congress can look at different drafts. Same here, uh, different uh, organized uh, business communities and trade unions can actually look at some of the, uh, you know, drafts. Uh, and there's uh, uh, ways in which you can actually uh, 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 share some information. And uh, uh, so I think that's been one of the issues, and, and IP. Those have been the yeah. two issues, but it hasn't been a huge discussion as it was. I think there's more support today than 10 years ago. And Ambassador Puri, and how does this, how, how did, from a Singaporean perspective, how would a TVP um, uh, build on, on, on the agreement that, that Singapore already has with the, with the U.S.? What's, what's, what's missing from that agreement that would be added as part of TVP that would be um, critical for the, for the uh, bilateral relationship? Well, essentially very little, because our free trade agreement, which is about 10 years old, already incorporates many of these elements. 
Where, and it's not just Singapore's free trade agreement with the US, it's our free trade agreement with several other countries around the region. How do we sort of add on to this? As I mentioned, technology is changing, requirements are changing. Singapore has become in many ways a platform for US companies to reach out to the wider region. And by having the TPP in place, it would reinforce that, getting into that wider region that goes into play. So that, that's a very important part of where we see the TPP moving ahead. Because many of the elements, you know, as of, you have to remember Singapore is a small, extremely globalized economy. Free trade is our lifeblood. Yeah. You look at the number of ships that pass through Singapore, a civil aviation hub, that's essentially part of Singapore's success. So free trade is critical. Connecting with the U.S., connecting with other partners is important for us. Mr. Yamanuchi, there's much concern in the U.S. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, about the, you know, the effect the TPP could have um, on U.S. jobs with a good amount of that attention focused on, on, on countries like Japan. And there's a lot of concern about what, what, what could be discussed as part of the, or negotiated with, between the two countries um, and, and what the broader economic effects would be in the U.S. What is, what is your response to those concerns? I think, yeah, generally speaking, there's a, the, both Japanese public and American public which supports free trade. And according to the latest uh, opinion poll done by some Japanese uh, newspaper companies, and more than 50% of the Japanese people support the, this uh, TPP. And also according to the Pew Research, uh, did the last year some uh, survey on their free trade. And the vast majority of the American people also support the free trade. But the thing is, political process is something different from the opinion poll. Mm -hmm. And each political system, that is a matter of our life because of, we are living in a democratic institution. Then those pro political process have its own sort of a momentum, its own mom, sort of uh, equation. So we are facing some difficulties. But uh, what did, going back to your questions about the uh, U.S. situation, I'm a Japanese diplomat, so I'm not uh, <laughs> in the position to express a U.S. view on their behalf. But uh, hearing the uh, President Obama mentioned about the, uh, the, the TPA or TPP, and I think the, the according to several uh, the statistics, I think this is the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. More than 700,000 new jobs will be created because of TPP up until 2025. And also, according to Prime Minister, uh, President Obama, the job, uh, the wage of the, the jobs which are engaged with trade is much higher than that of just domestic. And also, the, uh, this is a very nice phrase, I like it. 95% uh, of the consumers living outside of the United States. And the market is there. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the going global, it's so important. TPP will enhance those activities. And one other example. This is the, the one very uh, pro, uh, famous leading US company, GE. In, in early 1980s, more than 70% of their profit are from here in the United States. By now, it's over. Uh, this year, 70% of the profit are from the global market. That is uh, the one leading company of this country. That tells the yeah. sort of significance of uh, free trade and TPP. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the extent of, of, of Japanese companies investing in the United States and, and what TPP could do insofar as um, uh, pushing that forward, oh, that yeah. further forward? That's, that's a really nice question. If you take a look at this Mai Tai, this is a Thai, um, the mayor of San Antonio, Gabe. And the reason why I went that San Antonio is that there is one big company, Toyota, hiring 6,000 people down there working 
but they call it the Texan company. And that is a great sort of uh, integration of our two, two economies and uh, getting a lot of profit down there. And this Toyota is just, just one example. It's more uh, up to today, uh, say, uh, the Japanese uh, foreign direct investment total beyond $350 billion in total, hiring more than 700,000 people directly. And that is a just one good example for the economic integration, a great benefit. And TPP will only accelerate that kind of the, the exchange. Mm -hmm. Ambassador Kasi, I know you have to leave in about, in about five minutes, at which point we'll start the uh, Q&A from the, from the audience. Um, but I just, another a question for you mentioned before about the, um, the intersection between the Pacific Alliance and, and, and TPP. And obviously, Colombia, the Pacific Alliance includes Peru, uh, Mexico, Chile, and Colombia. But Colombia is obviously not a part of the, of the TPP negotiations. How um, does that? What, 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 what effect does that have on the, the, on the on the Pacific Alliance? Um, not having Colombia be a part of the TPP negotiations, and um, how did the negotiations Colombia side? How does the TPP negotiations um, forward movement in those? How does how does that affect the ability for the Pacific Alliance to to further deepen its integration? I, I think uh, there are just I don't see any effect. Uh, you know the. the Pacific Alliance, as Ambassador Valdez mentioned, uh, is something of very interesting block, uh, very dynamic, a lot of progress in a very short period of time, and liberalization of, liberalization of trade, of goods, services, uh, people, capital, going to other areas as capital market integration. So it, it really doesn't uh, uh, you know, affect. Obviously, Colombians would, be, would love to be part of this, and it would make a lot, a lot of sense, and we are, are actually are, are uh, in many uh, instances we're act acting as a block. I mentioned it last time here that uh, when we had the climate change uh, conference in Lima, the four presidents of the Pacific Alliance made a joint statement with a common view about how to deal with, uh, you know, the climate change uh, challenge. So uh, it, it would be obviously good for them, uh, and we understand that overall the APEC uh, leadership would like Colombia to come in, but there is a moratorium, not to Colombia in itself, but to other countries. And that's something that will be you know, discussed um, eventually, I guess. Perhaps the worry also for us, not only for Colombia, is the fact that uh, the countries are very heterogeneous in the TPP. And always we're looking at, uh, at countries, you know, you know, Vietnam, for instance. That, that is going to really uh, impinge uh, a challenge upon you know, our textile and garment uh, and, and uh, sector, for instance, uh, uh, and that's actually a, a, an even uh, you know larger worry for for Colombians. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to see ways in which perhaps we can accumulate origin with our Colombian friends. That's something that we're already you know discussing with the Americans, and it would be a, a, a way to get them in indirectly. But that's you know easier said than done. You right. know, obviously you need to reopen the whole thing go through Congress, and some, that's something that, we, that uh, actually uh, our friends from Colombia would like to do. Eventually, um, uh, when APEC membership opens, they'll come in. But I don't see Pacific Alliance progress being hindered by the fact that Colombia isn't part of TPP at all. And, uh, and we're trying, but, but uh, it's a process. And I think given that uh, uh, this is an open process and that APEC is also an open club, it should be, you know, um, you know, receptive to, to Colombia. If it were upon us, Latin Americans or the countries that we are already in, uh, 
and negotiating TPP, we, we would love having our Colombian friends in there, but it's a bit more, there are other issues, more geopolitical and other, from other parts of the world perhaps involved. I know you have to go meet your, uh, your, your, your minister at the airport, so thank you again very much for No, for, no, thank you, thank us. you very much, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and this is very important, uh, and I'd like to stress uh, a point that was made before, that, uh, uh, that this doesn't finish with TPA. It actually uh, is round one, mm -hmm. and we shouldn't really underestimate the, all the discussions that are going to happen. So it is a good bet, and it's something that we will agree upon. But uh, I think the real movie is just beginning, um, and we shouldn't, uh, you know, forget about that. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So with that, I'd like to uh, open up to uh, audience uh, uh, questions. There'll be microphones floating around. If you could, uh, as always, at the Atlantic Council, if you could mention your name and, and organization, uh, and uh, before Thank answering you. your question. And I see a very eager question here on the, in the first row, uh, Sol right here in the first row. And if you could please just keep your, keep your questions concise. Thank you very much for your presentation. It all sounded very good. I have a, a, a question. I, I, I have a- Your name and organization? Mike please. Snow, journalist. Mm -hmm. um, Guardian recently ran a piece that showed that the momentum toward favoring fast track in the TPP suddenly changed when the spigot opened from cor corporate donations. For example, Senators Cantwell, Wyden, and Bennett all got $105,000 in a very short time for their campaign contributions. How can we entrust uh, politicians to make a sound judgment when they're getting these huge campaign contributions, huge uh, lavish donations, and when they leave office lucrative jobs. Another point I'd like to make is that none of you addressed is this um, the question about the ability that passage of this treaty will, will enable companies to sue countries. For example, in Victoria, Australia right now, they're being sued by Philip Morris because they have laws on the books that are inconvenient for Philip Morris to make a profit, anti-smoking laws. Germany is being sued by a company in Sweden because of Fukushima. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thank well, I'd just like to finish the point. Yeah. Fukushima, that impinged on this company's ability to make a profit. What's your, can you address that point specifically? Because it's something that's often glossed over in these presentations. Great, thank you. And we, we have a lot of questions. I'm gonna take a second question as well with this, with this first round. Yes, sir, right behind it in the pink tie there. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Patrick Kilbride from the Global Intellectual Property Center at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Okay. Uh, you know, Ambassador Valdez and, and Ambassador Castilla's absence, I'll, I'll direct this question to you, but Latin America in the, in the early 2000s seemed poised to take off and for a variety of reasons, including the financial crisis. I think we didn't see launch trajectory. So the question is, can the TPP be part of the catalyst that really realizes the Latin America moment and how important is the innovation economy to that? And is are Chile and its neighbors, uh, partners in the in the Pacific Alliance, ready to embrace a strong set of, of intellectual property provisions that can really jumpstart that innovative economy in Latin America? Great, thanks, Patrick. Um, I think on the first question about the corporate donations, I, I think that this is probably not the right panel for this because this is, these are uh, foreign ambassadors uh, rather than talk about U.S. domestic politics. Um, but I guess there, he does, there's also the question brought up, and I'm not sure uh, one of our 
Asian colleagues might want to refer, the, the, about the um, the question about companies being able to sue countries as part of the as part of the, the TPP uh, uh, negotiations. Um, either Ambassador Puri or, or Minister Yamnuchi, yeah. if, if, if that, that's something. And then Ambassador Valdez, Patrick's question for you about TV being a catalyst to, revive, to realize the, the Latin America moment. Well, without going into the specifics, I think you're referring to investor state dispute settlement, which has been an element of free trade agreements for a long time. It gives protection to foreign investors to invest in countries. And whether it is a US investor investing overseas or a Singapore or a Japanese investor or a Chilean investor investing somewhere else. I think that this protection is critical given the, the kind of bets these people have to make. Now, ISDS, as I understand it, there are lots of protections in place before you can actually use it. And it hasn't been used extensively, although it has been an element of free trade agreements for a long time. So I'm sure that in the negotiations, each country will work out what is the best for them and how to work around these challenges if they feel that there may be a constraint they're putting themselves under. Well, with, of course, with respect to the first question, we cannot, uh, we cannot enter into these issues. But with respect to this last point, uh, apart from what has just been said, which is a perfect explanation of the situation, if I'm well informed, the question between Philip Morris and the Australian government is in the hands of a panel of the WTO, which is part of the rules of the WTO. It is not a result of any particular specific negotiation entered by the United States. Now, with respect to the question of, um, I, I, I was about to say what you're asking me. I was about to say that it is a fact that given the situation of some of our economies in the southern part of the world, which have had a sort of uh, uh, detention, we have been stopped in a certain sense by the end of the cycle of primary <coughs> exports, commodity exports. The um, joining of the TPP will mean a boost for particularly, we believe, investments. It is a fact that the question of innovation and the uh, participation in rules that allow a modernization of our economies is a concern of all of our governments. But it is not a process that you can um, uh, carry out in a very short time. You need time in order to do that. Therefore, the possibility of using the TPP to acquire uh, technology transfers, associations of all sort, uh, is something that will obviously help this process in our countries. And in immediate terms, we believe that the access or the participation in TPP will clearly help the difficult economic moment we're going through. Thank you. And was there a, um, uh, Adam's a question back there in the last row? Hi, Allison Good with um, SNL Energy. My question is for Mr. Yamanuchi. Um, as I'm sure you're well aware, US energy firms here are really sold on TPA and TPP um, because they would, you know, sort of speed up LNG exports specifically to Japan. And I'm wondering, um, 
is that is that still a mutual a mutual interest um, that Japan has in the TPP? Yes. Yes. Um, that? Yeah. Please. Okay. Uh, so, as you may know, the Japan is a big importer of all the energy resources, and uh, importing the, uh, the shale oil and shale gas from the United States only uh, increased our options. Uh, we rely on the foreign uh, producers, uh, the energy resources, and therefore the, the Japanese companies have been working hard uh, to engage with American companies to, to import from the energies from the United States. And TPP will only uh, accelerate those activities and uh, bring us the good rules and opportunities. Great. Thank Again, you. If I may add, yeah, this is not something new. Already, FTA countries can import LNG from the US. So it's just one thing that just puts it additionally for the TPP countries. Great. Thank you. Question here in the first round. I'll take, actually, we'll take these three questions together. I'll start with you, sir. So. Yes, hello. Thanks for being on the panel. My name is Adam B. Sudi. I'm with Politico. I had a question. You all mentioned there's work still to be done in the talks. Um, can you give more uh, sort of more detail on exactly how much work needs to be done and what that means for the timeline and closing the deal? Last week, the Australian trade minister said a, a week's worth of negotiations could could finalize this. But realistically, I know the U.S. and Japan have to conclude their bilateral. Um, and there are um, a number of people waiting for Canada to make a market access offer. Um, so what, you know, from your view, is the actual realistic time you could close the deal now that TPA seems to be on the way to the president? Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Over here. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Jim Berger from Washington Trade Daily. And just sort of a, a follow-up on that. The, the TPP seems to be so massive and it's taken such a long time. I, I assume you all could agree that it's too big to fail. Um, <laughs> but there are some particularly important and sensitive political items that haven't been resolved yet. Are you convinced that it will take the leaders uh, sitting down and uh, playing poker together to, to, to get a... Uh, a real agreement, or could it, can it be left to the uh, ministers? And uh, when's a good time for that? The APEC uh, ministerial or the leader summit? Or, uh... Great. Thanks, Jim. And then the question next to you as well. Uh, Brett Fortnum from Inside U.S. Trade. Uh, in kind of in, in that same vein, uh, in, in terms of how much work needs to be done, is it seen um, by all members that the bilateral deal between the U.S. and Japan has to be completed before um, other issues are addressed. Um, and uh, if it's a week's worth of uh, work, then um, has there been any discussion about a future ministerial um, or whether or not, you know, how much time would have to be, uh, be given after TPA passes uh, for that ministerial to take place? Um, and I also wanted to ask, um, in terms of the work that has to be done um, in your respective uh, parliaments and congresses, um, how much time do you see that taking once negotiations are actually finalized? Okay, great. Thank you. So I think the, the thrust of the three questions is when, timeline, how much more work, and, and what, what can we expect in the, in the months ahead? I, I would just like to observe that we are not members at least I am not a member of the Chilean negotiating team. <laughs> Therefore, it is absolutely impossible for me to give an impression of how long this will take. Uh, what I understand is that uh, there are some issues 
that are relatively simple. And they could, of course, use one week. I'm referring, for instance, in our case, to issues of market access, in which the increase in the uh, tariff reduction of some products or the inclusion of new products with some countries. But of course, it will depend on the level of agreement of the 12. In other matters, I have the impression, and this is why I would rather address the second question, I have the impression that political leaders will have to get involved in the process. Well, again, being in the happy position of not having to negotiate this highly complicated text, uh, <laughs> I then don't have to speculate on when it will be done. But when you do negotiations, whether it's trade negotiations or any negotiations, it's going to come down to you know very, very fine compromises among each party. I mean, that everyone recognizes. If everyone accepted what Singapore wanted, we'll overcome it's it tomorrow. That's fantastic. That's fine. <laughs> but you know that's not going to happen. So rather than speculate, I think that it's important to understand there is a lot to be done. I, I, the Australian Trade Minister is optimistic we can done it in a week, and I hope we can get it done in a week when people do meet. But I think you know that's where pulling together, making sure everyone comes in there and puts on the table what they need to take away. And the question of uh, then the different processes that uh, various congresses and parliaments, Singapore is a parliamentary democracy, we have a different process for ratification take. Again, this one goes back to each individual country. I think the most complicated will be going back again to Congress to get TPP approved even after we get over the TPA hurdle. So I think the, the focus will remain very much on what happens here even after we finalize the TPP agreement. Mr. Yamaguchi, what, what is the domestic uh, I, I couldn't today? agree more, but yeah, I would mention that uh, Shakespeare once said uh, every important thing is in detail. Devil, mm -hmm. God, or the truth. So mm -hmm. detail is so important. But I think it, the, the asking when it would be finished is a fascinating question. But I think it depends upon three things. One is very strong political will. The two is uh, the complexity of the negotiations. The three. The chief, chief negotiator, the creativity and flexibility. Those three things are so important. And everybody knows the political calendar in this town. Next year, the presidential election. Every people pay attention to the political calendar here. So the negotiation uh, is one part. And once negotiations closed, the ambassador just mentioned, each country has its own process of ratification. The US has its own process, like 90 days so the uh, cool of a public comment period or other things. And we do have our own national diet. We have to pass through. So it all depends. But uh, one thing we could say is the negotiation will be accelerated and motivated very much higher after this TPA is done. Yeah. Great. Other, other questions? I see on the fourth row, uh, Andrea, just right in front of you there. Oh, so, yeah, fourth row. Thank you very much. Evan Ellis, U.S. Army War College. Um, during the APEC Leadership uh, Summit last year, uh, the Chinese hosts in Beijing uh, advanced uh, what was uh, in many ways seen as an alternative to the TPP, a kind of TPP light, the, uh, the free trade area of the Asia Pacific. Um, with the current advances here in the U.S. Uh, of the TPP, uh, just uh, how does our expert panel uh, see the continued life of any of the FTA, AP, um, and uh, should uh, the uh, TPP uh, begin to falter, uh, is that a viable alternative for the countries involved? 
Great, thanks, Evan. And I'll take another question as well. Um, I see the first hand up there with the, with the black jacket. Yeah. Hello, my name is Jan Siet, and I'm a visiting fellow from Finland and work in a think tank called CTR. Uh, rising inequality is a major challenge of the 21st century. In your words, uh, is TPP going to increase or decrease inequality in the future? Okay, great. Uh, first, the question on the um, Evans question on the um, continued life of a, of a TPP light, you, uh, um, and, and, and what, what this means on the broader kind of China context. Uh, Ambassador Puri, would you like to? Uh, you know, as I said, many different types of regional trading arrangements can exist in parallel. They're not mutually exclusive to each other. And whether one is an alternative to the other, I don't really present it in that way. The ultimate objective at APEC, and this has been mentioned over and over again for decades, is we want to have a free trade area of the Asia Pacific. The route to that, are there various routes to get there? Using TPP, using what you call the FTAP light, there are various routes to it. But the objective is really to create this Pacific where countries can trade freely with each other. And I mean, that's the ultimate objective. How long we take to get there, it's anybody get, anybody's guess. What route we take, it's, you know, how do we connect, as I said, these Lego pieces that ultimately pull everything together. That's again, you know, something that, as I, I, I like the, the, way, the phrase that the Japanese minister said, we need everybody's creativity to get to where we want to get to. Well, so I'd like to address the other, the other qu the question from our fellow visiting from Finland of, does this, does, would this increase or decrease uh, equality? I'm not an economist. Uh, I think these are completely, I mean, these are issues that are probably not something that are correlated in a way. Each will happen. There are countries that are dealing with widening income inequalities and various governments are dealing with it in their own uh, methods as you have here in the US. But whether the TPP is there or not, I don't think it slows down or speeds up that process of income inequality. It's really quite a parallel process. Yes, Ambassador. Well, uh, with respect to the first question, um, in her recent visit to China, President Bachelet expressed uh, an enormous interest in the offer of China on that uh, agreement. Of course, I, uh, and, she, and, and we have uh, uh, a permanent talks with China around issues of trade. Uh, as I said before, trade with China is for us extremely important. I wouldn't go into details because I'm not in a condition to do it, but let me say that we are quite open to consider other agreements that might be useful in order to consolidate what we are doing with TPP. With respect to inequality, inequality is, a, for us in Chile, a very, very serious point. And uh, we consider that uh, the reduction of inequality uh, is linked to pol political uh, decisions by governments. That means internal policy decisions. And we do not see in the TPP anything that would prevent us to develop policies oriented to the reduction of inequality in Chile, both in areas of education, health, uh, or uh, regionalization, which is a critical issue linked to inequality. Therefore, I agree uh, with what the ambassador of Singapore has just said. There is an uncertain, or at least no visible correlation between both things. Uh, and um, the uh, only concern we've had with respect to this issue 
relates to intellectual property rights. And let me make there a, a, a comment. Um, as the ambassador of Peru said, in Chile, polls show that Chileans are very much in favor of free trade. The group that is against free trade is a very small group of people. Yet the question is that people understand free trade as exchange of goods and services and not as rules linked to particular sectors, developed sectors in developed nations. Therefore, when we talk about intellectual property rights, the question is that we have to be shown that this is linked to free trade and not simply to another way of protecting or of protectionism. This is a very substantive point of the discussion we have. A, foreign minister, a, a, former, a former finance minister of Chile, Andres Velasco, wrote recently a good piece saying, it is clear that the TPP will support or will help Latin America in its development, except if the position proposed in the TPP puts such an emphasis in the protection of inventions that it prevents creativity in our own countries. And uh, I think that from my point of view, I can only stay in this general description because I cannot go into details of the negotiation, mm -hmm. first of all, because I, I'm ignorant of them. But from the point of view of general principles, this is what we, we see as a balanced agreement in this area. Mr. Yamanuchi, do you want to add any, um, anything to either of those? Uh, on, on China? Yes. Um, uh, I think that for Japan, China is the biggest trade partner, much bigger trade uh, between US and Japan. So with China, we, we have a big trade. And also more than 22,000 20, Japanese companies uh, operating inside China, hiring more than 10 million people, Chinese people, oh. and getting a lot of benefit. But at the same time, they face challenges, intellectual property rights, or rules of investment and others. So uh, we have been negotiating uh, FTA between Japan, among Japan, South Korea, and China. They're going nowhere yet. But I think that it's, I, I, I welcome the Chinese interest in TPP, and that is good things. And also, I hope that uh, in order to meet with a high standard, China have to reform many things. And TPP will accelerate their reforms inside China. And that is a very nice thing to see. Great, thank you. And we have time for probably uh, another round of questions here. Um, take these, maybe all three of these questions on this side of the room here, and then we'll maybe take that fourth question over there as well. Um, my name is Peter Fadul from the Embassy of Honduras. And one major aspect that we've mentioned about the TPP negotiations are these not only commercial advances, but social standards that would be established, um, labor rights standards, environmental protection standards, <clears throat> sanitation standards, so forth. And these advancements are especially appealing to a country like Honduras, who not only has room for commercial improvement, but social improvement as well. So I was wondering if you could shed some light on the enforcement and regula regulatory functions that would be put in place by TPP to ensure that the countries, the member countries, are in fact living up to these standards that are set. Thank you. Great, thank you. And I saw, I think there were two other questions there. Yep. 
Hi, uh, my name is Ethan Gilbert, and uh, and I'm here from Ernst and Young. Uh, and my question for the whole panel is: um, uh, uh, as you know, the the debate over trade adjustment assistance has been a major one that's happening in the Congress here. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there is a similar uh, debate happening uh, in your respective Congresses, and uh, and if so, um, uh, how would it, how would a deal such as that be implemented? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Then there was a final question over there. I need to understand that question. The trade adjustment assistance debate here at the TAA. Oh, oh, oh. Hi, it's Sean Donnan from the Financial Times. I, I think there's a lot of talk about U.S. leadership uh, when we talk about the TPP. There's another trade debate that's happening now uh, here in Washington, and that's over the Export-Import Bank. Uh, I wonder how you view that debate and what that tells you about U.S. leadership in in the context of the TPP event. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. And we'll take that one, the fourth question over there. And, and I'm keeping track of all the questions, so don't, don't worry. Okay. I'm Philip Wilkinson from the Council of the Americas. Um, as Ambassador Valdez mentioned, intellectual property rights, uh, specifically relating to the production of pharmaceuticals, seems to be a primary concern of many following the TPP. And I was just wondering, um, how would the TPP impact uh, the production of generic drugs um, in um, treating sicknesses like cancer and HIV? And do you know of any um, health service initiatives in your countries that have been undertaken to mitigate price increases? Okay, great, thanks. So we have uh, four, four questions here. Uh, one on the social standards improvements and, and what are the enforcement mechanisms to be a part of that. Uh, one is on, on a, the, the debate we've been having on trade adjustment assistance in the United States. Is there some type of similar debate in your respective capitals on uh, how to provide assistance for workers that are displaced as, 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 part, of, as part of trade? Uh, Sean's question on the uh, reflections on the Export-Import Bank um, uh, uh, discussions here in Congress, and then the last question about how does uh, TPP impact uh, generic drug development. Um, so uh, feel free to take whichever questions you would, you would, you would like of those four. You don't <laughs> have to take, take all the four. Last question. Okay. I'll, I'll take the last question. And talking about pharmaceutical to drugs and medicine is a very important thing. There are three different elements. One is the four companies who are sort of fighting to find the new medicine to cure the very difficult disease. It's so important. But for that, they have to acquire the investment. It requires a lot of investment and high risks. So intellectual property rights, or data protection period, uh, is a like assurance for those companies who are willing to pursue those new medicines. And that is very important. But at the same time, accessibility to those medicines is so important. Medicine is, after all, not for the benefit, but for the patients. So patients' access to the, uh, the drugs is so important. At the same time, in many countries, government is involved with those healthcare systems. So if the, uh, the government have to pay a lot for the, the new medicine, that, that, that doesn't make sense. But this, we have to make a right balance between the new medicines, patients' right, and also the government cost. So we're fighting. And it depends upon the each country. Like a Japanese, com Japanese com some of the Japanese companies really are working hard to create new medicine. It's a lot of investment. They have to so be pr protected. And at the same time, Japanese government are paying a lot of uh, budget for that. So they try to deduce it. So even inside Japan, we have a big debate on that. And 12 countries are sort of uh, debating on that point, finding, try to find the right balance depending upon each situation of respective countries. Great, thank you. Ambassador Puri, would you like to go next? 
Well, actually, none of these really relate to what Singapore is trying to achieve because the, the one on uh, labor standards, we already have an FTA, so it's not really a question. And there are mechanisms outside that to manage some of these issues. The question on TAA in Singapore, we don't really have that. So, but the government does other things to work with, uh, to work with workers, to work with employers. The whole challenge in Singapore is really how do you keep retraining people for new opportunities? There's a whole program called Skills Future. Now, that's nothing similar to what you have here in TAA, but it's really meant to get workers into the, future, into the new industries that are emerging. And that's the key thing of what we've done. Uh, to Sean's question, we do not have an Exim Bank in Singapore. And that's really, again, a domestic debate going on here, pulled in various directions by different interests. So I, I, can, I think, again, this becomes a US domestic issue as people try to sort out the advantages and disadvantages of Exim. And it, it has become very political. Great, thank you. And Japanese answer to healthcare. And Ambassador Valdez, it's, uh, uh, pick and choose among those four questions. <laughs> my, my responses are, have been extremely well represented by, <laughs> by my colleagues here. Um, with respect to the, with the TAA and the protection of jobs, let me be very frank. We want, to, we want to create new jobs, not to lose jobs in Chile with this uh, treaty. And we believe that uh, more investment bring, brings more opportunity to get to create new jobs. Therefore, but this we we don't have that policy, simply like that. We have policies, which I would love to see them as I have seen them in Singapore. But uh, policies to um, to train and uh, workers and to support the training of workers, of course, are part of a state effort but we don't have anything like the TAA. And with respect to the, the pharmaceutical problem, or we don't have, uh, of course, any data. And I believe that Ambassador Castilla was very clear in saying that these are debates that are difficult to sustain in empirical terms because we do not know yet exactly the way in which this, uh, decisions like the ones that are included in the TPP will, will really impact in some areas. What we know is that what has been said by the Minister of Japan is exactly the problem. How do we, at the same time, protect the rights of, uh, uh, of pharmaceutical enterprises that have to invest heavily in order to produce new medicaments, and at the same time, we have to protect our population. And that can, can be summarized in a very simple equation, which is the amount of years you give some of these uh, companies to protect their intellectual property. Uh, in the agreement with the United States, the, uh, the, the time period was five years, no, eight years. And we don't have yet. But the problem is that in other agreements we have is five years. Now, we, we understand that there is a demand for more years. Uh, this is part of the debate, and this is part of the negotiation, and we will see what happens in the end. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank the uh, ambassadors uh, uh, for uh, joining us on uh, round one of day uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, just uh, we just were very lucky to have this co the conversation coincide with with the with the vote today. But please join me in thanking uh, the four our four distinguished panelists. Um,